Life Audio. Bravery, the loyalty, the just all of that. And so today uh, we have a, a Marine uh, in our presence. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. All right, we're back. We are back, Life After Addiction. And as you notice, whenever you see just the one camera angle, we got a guest. We have a guest. And today, guys, I am so excited about this guest. I am um, I'm very just... Um, I don't know, I guess inspired by, drawn Absolutely. to uh, our warrior class, yeah. uh, the bravery, the loyalty, the just all of that. And so today uh, we have a, a Marine uh, in our presence. He's going to talk to us. And so I'm very happy to uh, introduce you guys to Jeremy Stalnecker. Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. It is awesome to be with you guys. Uh, we were introduced to each other a couple months ago, I guess. And uh, since then, I've just really loved following you and the work that you do. And so grateful for what you guys are doing. So it's, it's an honor to be with you. Well, thank you for those kind words. I think the honor is ours. Uh, and so you might be watching and you're wondering, well, why is this guy on a podcast called Life After Addiction? Uh, well, that's a great question if you did ask that. Um, so Jeremy, he is the uh, co-founder and CEO of a foundation called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Uh, he works with uh, veterans and uh, just disciples them. And I believe it is a nonprofit as well, right? Christ Center nonprofit. Right, that's right. Uh, so not only that, he has extensive military background, but what I thought was interesting and really has actually helped me and just my mind and focusing on issues and task at hand is, is something that God gave him, uh, while in active military. Uh, he also wrote a book about it. All the links to his foundation, his Instagram, his book, and his podcast, uh, is going to be in the show notes, but it's this concept called March or Die. Mm. Uh, that's the, that's the process that's the the thing that god gave him and he really started working through that in the military and it's this process of it in the darkest season of your life which most of the time when we meet people that's when we meet them uh they are in the darkest seasons of their life uh when things are going wrong when everything's up against you how do you keep going how do you keep pressing on and so he's written this book called march or die but he also has a podcast with the same name march or die uh and so jeremy explain to the people um I guess the origins of it, what it really means about march or die, obviously that's pretty intense, <laughs> march or die, but it's also realistic and it's logic. Right. So uh, walk us through that, man. Well, I feel like you just did a better job than I will, so hey, we could probably end right here. Yes. And, uh, I am a professional. <laughs> we got what we needed. So march or die is a, it's a really simple motto. I, I tell the long version, and as you mentioned, I've written about it, but when I was commissioned as a Marine officer, I was an infantry officer in the Marine Corps. I was commissioned after about a year of school, checked into my first unit, and my first unit was Charlie Company, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, is a rifle platoon, and um, they had a motto. Every, I don't know what the other services are like, but in the Marine Corps, every unit has a motto because that's just what we do in the Marines. You have to have something to put on a shirt, so we have these mottos, and uh, the motto for uh, Charlie Company was March or die. It's like super simple, right? I mean, you, can't, you can't mess that up. You can go <laughs> forward, or you can stay where you are and die. That's it. And it was just, just a motto on a t-shirt until several years later, I was in Iraq, I was in a, a different unit, and we were uh, tasked to secure a, really a relatively obscure small bridge 
over a very small canal uh, called the Saddam Canal, of all things. In 2003, everything was the Saddam something in Iraq. And uh, we were sent there, and we were told, though, that there would be no enemy presence there. Now, when the division tells a 1,200 Marine unit to go and secure a small bridge, you should probably assume there's an enemy there, but we weren't smart, right? So uh, we, we started making our way there in the middle of the day. Um, we did everything at night. That day, we, we went to secure the bridge during the day. So really very strange uh, situation, very strange environment, but we made our way to the bridge. I was the second vehicle back. I was navigating for the battalion, so um, I was right up front. And when we got there, it became very, very clear very quickly that uh, there were indeed enemy soldiers there. Mortar rounds started to fall around our vehicles as we were making our way to the bridge. And then when we got there, we encountered a machine gun position oh aimed goodness. our direction. And when you think about this, you kind of picture it in your mind. I, I can see it as clear as if it happened yesterday. But uh, people have driven on bridges, right? You drive up to basically a berm and you go up over the berm, which brings you to the top of the bridge. So as we were driving toward it, we were looking at the side of the berm just a little bit lower than the top of the bridge. That machine gun position was there, started engaging us, and uh, we dealt with that, <clears throat> kept moving. We were supposed to stay where we were. I like how but we the, dealt with that. Like, okay. We dealt with that. Yeah. And I could go, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I could go into a lot of detail. No, that's good. That's but good. But we I dealt just, with it. Yeah. Um, but we were supposed to stay right there. But because of the situation, the way it was, mortar rounds continued to keep falling, even though the machine gun position was no longer a threat. So I made the decision to push us on top of the bridge. And when we got there, um, things went from kind of sketchy to really, really bad. Mm. There was a, an anti-aircraft gun um, that was elevated to prevent our helicopters from coming over the bridge. It was about 50 meters away from us. Started to rotate down and then around toward us. It was one of those uh, Soviet-era four-barrel, uh, called a ZSU-23-4. Uh, so it had guys like behind it cranking, right? And so it was a slow movement, but it was moving our direction. The mortar rounds continued to fall. And uh, it's crazy what you think about in moments like that. But the thought that popped into my mind was march or die. Mm. <laughs> like, that's it. That motto that was on the back of a T-shirt from years before that, right? And uh, I was standing outside of the vehicle at one time, screaming into my handset, trying to get some help. And our, our column was spread out over several miles. So um, help was on the way, but it was going to be a while and the mortar rounds would fall. Uh, the dirt around me was soft. So the, the, the round itself would go into the dirt. The shrapnel was contained, but the percussion was something that you feel from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. I mean, it was overwhelming. Um, and at that moment we really had only two choices. We could stay where we were and die. And that's what would have happened. I mean, physically die. The yeah. mortar rounds would have gotten us. The machine gun spinning our direction would have gotten us. Something would have gotten us. We were kind of on the X. We were in the kill zone. Or we could march. And, and marching is a great analogy because when you march, you don't exactly know where you're going to end up. You just know it's over there. <laughs> and you start putting one foot in front of the other. That carries you to a different place. And that's what we did. We got off the X. We moved not too far up the road but out of the kill zone to a place where we could better impact the enemy. And that's exactly what we did. Um, I always have to throw this in because one time I told this story at a church and a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, did you guys make it or not? You didn't finish the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, the fact that I'm standing here kind yeah, of would yeah, indicate, yeah. but yes, we did make it. Yeah. We dealt with the enemy and uh, we got to the other side of that. But that, that moment was really uh, one of those moments in my life that I think about every day. I've thought about thousands of times since then, a lot of lessons learned and extracted from that. Again, writing the book around that idea of march or die. But the, the simple 
analogy for me and for life is that all of us, whether it's in real combat or just the combat of life, find ourselves in those positions where for one reason or another, whatever the reason, maybe you got yourself in that situation. Maybe someone pushed you into it. Whatever happened to you, here you are. Mm. And you have to make a decision. You can stay where you are and die. And, and again, I want to highlight death is not always of the physical kind. Now in the veteran community, more than 20, 22, whatever the number is. A day, yeah. Um, yeah, many believe it's, it's closer to 40 a day take their lives. Mm. Um, that's a physical death that's getting into that kill zone and deciding it'd be easier to stay where you are. But for most of us, it's not that. It's, it's, it's emotional. It's relational. It's spiritual. It, death is when you stay where you are. You're continuing to breathe air, but you're not living in any meaningful way. You're just passing time. You've, you've kicked it into neutral. An obstacle, a trial, a difficulty broken relationship, whatever the case has stepped in front of you and prevented your forward movement. And you've just concluded it's easier to stay here. Well, that's death. Mm. The better decision is always to put one foot in front of the other and march. And again, marching is a great analogy. Why? Because you don't exactly know where you're going to end up, Mm. but you know, you're going to get out of that kill zone one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time, continuing to put that one foot in front of another you get out of that kill zone where you can see the battlefield a little more clearly and you can engage the enemy. So that, that idea, that moniker, that's the name of my podcast. It's the name of the, one of the books that I've written. And uh, it, it just, it, for me, it, it brings things into clarity. I mean, the apostle Paul made this point a long time ago. I pressed toward the mark, right? <laughs> for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting those things, which are behind. Yep. And, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and I, let me, let's go to a, just a quick commercial break, and then I want to tie something back in um, that's kind of the, relating to our our field, and then I want to ask yep. you another question. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. We're back. We're back. We're back. Hey. All right. So we're back. So you mentioned uh, you talked about in Iraq and everything with it had Saddam's name tied to something. And uh, I try to educate people. Uh, and it's sad that I'm or we're the ones that are educating people on this fact. Uh, and it's not plastered all, all over the news. But you, you remember we remember in the Saddam era, in the Iraq era, one a very big trigger word was weapons of mass destruction, WMDs. Mm. Yeah. And this year, not two, I mean, two months ago, maybe three months ago, max, um, I want to say 20 plus state attorney generals, and I believe California, Texas, Tennessee, uh, and I could go on and on. State attorney general signed um, a petition that goes to President Biden's desk to declare fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. 
Mm. And I mean, when you really think about that and you think about the implications of that, I remember the implications of that, right? I mean, we went to war because of that. And I mean, and when you think about fentanyl primarily coming from China and things like Mm. that, and just that's how big of a deal it is. And they're not doing this for cloud. It's it's bipartisan, Uh, obviously Tennessee and uh, California and Texas uh, state attorney generals probably f- fall under different political views, um, political sides. And so it's a bipartisan effort. And the, the question would be, well, why is that? Well, it's because it's the number one cause of death for men and women ages 18 to 50 in our country is, right. is overdose. Right. And so when I and just kind of tying that back to what we're doing and, and hearing your message of march or die, uh, we tell uh, so often we have four pillars that we talk about. And one of those, the fourth pillar is action. Every single day, there has to be a step towards something. Uh, and you might not know what that something is. Yeah. And I hear you talk about that when you're explaining this process and you're just like, I don't want to be cliche. I don't want to, you know, a sound bite that you've heard before. But, it, but you really do need to focus on the journey. Um, and so walk us through that when you talk about um, you might not ever get to the goal. The goal, the goal ne- not necessarily, I believe I've heard you say, the goal isn't necessarily getting out of this dark season. Or getting over today, this hump of today, but but there is an ultimate goal that you might not ever get to, yeah. but you really need to focus on the process. Yeah, man, there, there's just so much there. I, yeah, sorry. Hearing, <laughs> no, hear, hearing you talk makes me want to go 17 different directions, right? But hey. uh, let's let's step back one step for me at least. This is why um, understanding what we're dealing with on our in our world in my world dealing with trauma related to combat or military service or those who are in the first responder community, understanding that from a biblical perspective is absolutely key. Yeah. And I've heard you guys talk about this a lot. This is why I appreciate what you do, why I promote your show, because you approach what you're doing from a biblical perspective. The, the first question is, what does God think about this? Yeah. And when we talk about failure or success in life and, um, I think it was uh, Charles Stanley who said something like this in his book on success, that success is the ongoing achievement of becoming what God wants us to be. Something like that. That's not a direct quote, but it's something like that. The ongoing achievement of becoming what God wants us to be. Success is not a destination. Success is the process. Mm. Success is taking the steps that God has set before you. Uh, A verse that's become very helpful to me this year and for you know, some other things are going on um, in our world um, is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one that tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily be set and what run with patience, the race that is set before you looking unto Jesus. Mm. So it is, I'm here, wherever here is, I need to run with patience, my race, the race set before me. How do I do that? By following the example of Jesus Christ. And in a very real sense, that's what march or die is. It's understanding you don't get to the destination until physically your life ends when God takes you home if you're a believer. Um, But your your job, your goal is to take that next step, to continue moving forward. And when you make that decision, it's a pre-decision. I talk about resiliency a lot, spiritual resiliency. Where does resiliency come from? It comes from making a decision before the difficulty enters your life, that when it does, you'll continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so important. I, again, I tell the story of the bridge, and there are basically five points I pull out of that. And um, the first two are uh, 
you may not get to choose the biggest fights in your life. We hit that bridge. We didn't think there was going to be an enemy there, but there it was. We didn't choose that. We didn't desire to be there, but here we were. And it is the unexpected that causes most people to become the lifelong victims of a one-time event. <laughs> you are a lifelong victim of something that was completely out of your control because you won't move past it. Here I am. Well, you may not get to pick the event, but number two is you get to decide how you're going to fight. Maybe you didn't pick the fight, but you get to decide how you're going to fight. And to me, that is the process of continuing to move forward. If we think that life is, is easy, and I would imagine your listeners as well as mine don't believe that because we come from communities where there is a lot of struggle. But if we believe life is easy, we're going to get knocked down and we're going to stay there. When we understand that life involves some hardship and some difficulty, but we can continue to move forward. Um, so many great examples from Scripture of this, including the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, mm. who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, <laughs> and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, this is the example. And when we demystify um, tragedy, trial, hurt, broken relationships, we understand that, as Peter said, uh, suffering is a part of life, then we can identify it for what it is. It doesn't make it feel good. We can identify it for what it is, but we've already made the decision. In spite of this, we're going to find a way to move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, one of the things interesting that we, the, the way that we discuss that or some of, the, some of the conversations we have, it seems so often when people are in that darkness, when people are in that hard season, it almost becomes comfortable. And the way we describe it is, is they're, they're in a pit and they're starting to decorate the pit. They're starting to hang yeah. uh, pictures yeah. up and yeah. move their furniture around. And now the pit is their home. And that's not what they've been. That's not what you're meant for. God created us in his image in the Imago Dei. Uh, and then if you are redeemed by God, man, we have purpose to live a life of abundance, to live a life on mission, to live a life sent right? To make disciples of all nations, uh, to bring him glory. And when you're in the pit, it's almost punitive. And I think I found many reasons of why guys, uh, myself included over a decade ago, why I thought, thought that the pit was comfortable. Uh, but mm -hmm. one of the primary reasons is, is really punitive. I deserve this. Um, you know, I know my thoughts. I know what I've done yeah. to people. I know what's happened to me. I know what I've, what I've stolen. I, I mean, I know what that is. And so I deserve this. I don't want to be around others because if I'm in the pit, it's really hard to get light in there, right? And so I could stay in this darkness because when light comes in, darkness has to flee, the Word of God says. Mm. And so as we're in this pit and it's like, here we are, I've been there too, man. And like, here's yeah. my hand. Grab it. March or die. Like, give me your yeah. hand. Like, no judgment. Give me your hand. Let's get out of this pit because you're not supposed to be there. But the longer you're there the more you feel like this is your home. Mm. And, it's, mm. and it's crazy to think that. So let's take a quick break. And I know Ryan has some, some things he wants to ask you about the Mighty Oak Foundation. And so uh, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. 
What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. We're back. And so, yeah, climbing out of the pit, uh, it, it's so important. And uh, I know, Ryan, you're going to talk about the foundation, but I think, I think your message, that, that, well, God's message that he gave you that was on a T-shirt uh, on the um, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, right? And march or die. And so when, you, when you're in this pit, you feel alone. But if you're hearing this, if you're hearing this podcast, and that's why we're doing this, this we're, we're, we're doing this, we don't want this just to go to some airwave that no one hears it. But if you're hearing this podcast, there's hope. If you're in the pit, we've been there too. Uh, march or die, take a step, reach out, grab a hand. It's the scariest when you drag, and a lot of times that you're in that pit because of secret sin, right? Mm. Not all the time, uh, especially when we deal with guys who the worst things in the world's happened to them by the people that are supposed to love them the most sometimes. And that's what stirred them, that drew them to addiction, and now they have their own life of sin. But a lot of times, the reason that we stay in the pit is because of secret sin. And the scariest and hardest thing you'll ever do is drag secret sin from the dark into the light. But I'll tell you people who's listening or watching, it is also the most freeing. It is the most freeing. So mm. let me hand off to you. Sorry, we've been. This could be a seven-hour podcast, oh, I know. and I wouldn't blink, man. I love this. Jeremy, hearing you speak is man. You preaching straight yeah, to me, man. man. Yeah. March on, um, and it makes me want to go straight into the statements of faith for the Mighty Oaks Foundation. But I'm going to wait for that. Tell our audience a little bit more about the Mighty Oaks Foundation, what it is, how it came about, um, and the programs that are involved with it. Right. So we uh, serve a few different communities connected. Veterans is where we started, serving those who are have served and are out of the military. Veterans, but now we serve active duty military as well, thousands of active duty military troops a year we have the opportunity of speaking to. Um, and now, more and more, the first responder community, that's police and fire, oh, others nice. in the first responder community as well. But um, there's just so much that translates from the military community to the first responder community. And then spouses. So, you know, men or women married to a service member. Um, or a first responder. And, and the way we do that, there's, there's a lot of different things that we do, but the core of our programming is what we call the legacy program. Mm. And we bring men or women, we have you know, men's programs and women's programs, to one of our facilities across the country. We have five different locations that we use across the country, um, all kind of a ranch setting. So it's rural, it's, it's out of the, you know, the hustle and bustle of the rest of the world. And we spend a week talking about what trauma is, what it isn't. That takes about an hour. <laughs> and then the rest of the week is spent talking about how to move forward wow. into the, the creation that God has placed on our lives. So we, we talk about um, understanding that God is. If God is, then he has created us with purpose, with meaning, with value. And when we align to that, align to God's purpose for our life, then the trauma, the stuff that has had us bound, that has ruined our lives and relationships, the things we're dealing with, they're still there. Trauma doesn't go away. We don't forget it. We don't simply get over it, but it no longer has control over us because we're moving into the life that God created us to live. Um, interestingly, as you were just talking about how we reach, you know, can reach into the pit and pull someone out, that is exactly our method. It's not complicated. It's 
every one of our instructors, every one of our team leaders has been through our program. So a man or woman comes to our program because they need it. Um, They find hope, help, healing on the other side of that. Many, many of them accept Christ as their savior during that week. And then we begin to bring those who are willing and those who we identify as potential leaders through a about a year long process of leadership training and discipleship where they then will stand in front of a class and look at either men or women who are struggling and say, look, I know where you've been because I've been there. I sat in that spot right there. I heard this class that I'm about to teach to you. And this is what God did in my life as a result. And so it's very much removing that. You have no idea what it's like to be me. You don't know the struggles I've been through. Uh, All of that goes away. And uh, we teach classes, then we're broken into small groups where uh, we can you know, deconstruct in a, a smaller setting what that class means and how we can apply it to our lives. And, and through that legacy program, which again, we started for veterans, um, but God has opened so many doors for us. We've seen uh, more than 4,500 individuals go through that week-long program. And then on the other side, we speak at active duty military conferences and to units, uh, several hundred thousand folks we've had the opportunity to speak into on the topic of spiritual resiliency. Again, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be spiritually resilient? And uh, so we've had the the privilege of doing that as well. So it's been, it's been pretty amazing. Um, And again, with that, God has blessed. We have some incredible supporters so that when someone applies to our program, there's no cost to attend the program. That's cool. And there's no, no cost for travel. We cover the cost of travel as well. We're, we're in four different States. So, um, you know, we do what we have to, to get you where you need to be to get help. All you need to go do is go to our website and, uh, and register and we'll, we'll get it taken care of. That's amazing. Yeah. And just the, the variety of programs that you have, I read up on, like you just mentioned, the legacy program for men and women, you have a military resiliency program, a marriage advance program, you oh, have wow. an aftercare program, you have a mighty Oaks international even, I mean, to walk through them through different stages in life. Uh, but the yep. next thing I wanted to get to was your statement of faith at the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Man, my spirit got fired up just reading that and just how Christ is the center of everything you do. I'm going to read a couple of the statements of faith that says we believe that the Bible to be inspi- the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God. We believe that the Bible is sufficient for all matters pertaining to living a life of righteousness and godliness. We believe that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly, victorious life. And I could go on and on. I wanted to ask you more so personally, how has your faith impacted your life um, and the things that you have gone through? Yeah, did you have the faith? in? The, were you a believer in the military or was there something that happened along the way? Yeah, so I accepted Christ when I was pretty young. My dad was a pastor okay. and um, a church planter here in Southern California where I live. Um, kind of a, a long story, but one thing I knew growing up at a pastor's home is that's not what I wanted to do. I mean, I loved ministry. I loved my parents, and uh, they were very faithful to God, and I'm very thankful for that. But um, really felt a call to the military, and mm. I try to explain that to folks. Most people think I was running from God. I really felt like that's where God wanted me to go and what he wanted me to do. Mm. And so, yeah. Nailed so that yes, <laughs> yes, I was a Christian. Um, I'll say this. I, I think I was probably a nominal Christian at that time in my life. I was married. My wife and I had been married for just a couple of years. Um, when I went to Iraq, we had uh, two small children. And I understood the importance of having my family in church and those kind of things. Um, but certainly the Marine Corps was much more important to me than a lot of other things in my life. It, again, 
that, that experience in Iraq. And it was after that, that I left the Marine Corps and actually went to work at a church and eventually became a pastor. Um, that experience really God used as a catalyst, I think, to help me really get a hold of some things for the first time, like his sovereignty, that he's God and I'm not God. Mm. <laughs> and my job is to, is to do what I can do, what he's placed in my hands, the opportunities he's given me, I need to pursue those, but he's God and I'm not. And my faith certainly was built during that time. Um, and then I came home from Iraq, immediately transitioned out of the military and went to work at the church that my family and I had been attending and the bottom dropped out. I mean, I, I, I was, I was completely lost. I was a Christian and I was working at a church. I began counseling young military couples, uh, but my marriage was a mess because mm. of me. My, um, I, I mean, everything about that period of time in my life was a disaster and it took people stepping into my life, my wife, my parents, my pastor stepping into my life and really helping me get back on track. So um, my faith has been, I mean, everything, yeah. but it's what took me into the military. It's what got me really through and helped me understand some things during that time, framed them, put them in context for me. But it was my faith on the other side of my service that allowed me to move through that without completely shipwrecking my life and having the right people in my life who understood life from a biblical perspective. All the principles that we teach now um, are things that um, that I had to live through and, and understand uh, as I was hurting the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think very similar, um, mindsets that we have. I think, like you said, uh, just kind of going back a little bit that all of their, all of your teachers went through the very program. And I would say conservatively 85, I think there's 34 of us on staff and 80 to 90% came through, or I came through the program 10 years ago. He came through mm -hmm. the program five years yep. ago, but we do have doctor and nurses and some clinicians that sure, obviously, sure. Uh, didn't a couple of recovery coaches that didn't either, but are, have been close. Maybe like our, um, one of our executive pastors, his son came through the program. So, um, so that's, that's very similar. There's a methodology there that, that you can reach down, but also our, our faith being important. And, uh, I love your, your, uh, faith statement, your mission statement regarding the Bible. And, and that's so similar to us. And you acknowledge, man, I love you guys because you're Christ centered. You go straight from the Bible. The yeah. second Peter is, is, is where our, our key curriculum comes from, where it says you can escape the corruption that's in the world that comes through sinful desires. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever battled an addiction, that word desire means something different. And the Bible mm -hmm. just said that we can escape that. Uh, and so I think what's so important, what's so cool about the process that you guys do and that we do, it's almost like it's not, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not going to get you in trouble today, but, but it seems like what <laughs> we're doing what we, you, as in you and I, you and us, um, Mighty Oaks and S2L, it's almost like sometimes, especially in this space, we're like, oh, yeah, that's cute. You guys, that faith-based mm, stuff, go keep doing yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, hey, buddy, I appreciate your, your statement, but go look at the data. The way right. you're doing it, it's terrible. Right. Right. Why are we still doing it that way? And it's like, hey, addiction, hey, suicide, hey, yeah. uh, depression, hey, trauma, all of these things are not surprises to God. The, the one that spoke all things into creation, that, that right. from nothing burst forth everything because he spoke words. Hey, that God, this isn't a surprise to him. And you know what? He's left us some things <laughs> to, to know about yeah. this, and, and yeah, it's so right. effective. I mean, there's been surveys. It's weird because 
I know for a fact when when George W. Bush was in office, there was a because he he started a faith based initiative in some states in the state of Tennessee. I believe it was one of the first when it comes to um, substance abuse and mental health. And so there were surveys done by major, I want to say Ivy League colleges, that showed faith based recovery astronomical astronomically yeah. higher than secular recovery. Uh, and it's like, but yet we're looked at as the 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 less than or oh good job guys y'all y'all keep it up it's amazing to me that and so one of our missions that we've been doing since um, 2020 really when we we got licensed by the state we have a joint commissioner anything that they said we couldn't do we we did and we're doing right right Uh, and so but we want to collect data for a few years uh, and then just present it to people like hey here's legit licensed accredited data that shows what we're doing is radically more effective than what you've been doing yeah. And I don't know, man, I feel a, a kindred spirit with you guys. Um, we have veterans uh, on staff, um, on on the board, our board. And so I don't know, there, there is something in, in, about it. Our clinical director actually came from the VA. Um, and I'll probably ask you and, and lean on you if, if you're okay with it, Jeremy. But there is something that God's put on our heart. And I don't know how far out it is, but we'd like to develop a specific program for veterans and maybe even for combat veterans um, mm. and, and just only have combat veterans there and yep. the recovery coaches and things like that have served. Uh, I don't know. That's something that was put, the author of our curriculum is a combat veteran. He was also in wow. Iraq. Yep. Bruce Stanley wow. was in the army. Um, yep. He took a job with the church in his local town uh, a few months ago, but he served here for a while and, and we adopted his, his, his book and really transformed it into our curriculum. Um, and so we're very heavily geared that way. I don't know why I went down that path, but I can see kind of a partnership maybe at some point, but it's, it's crazy. You talk about that. And I think we mentioned this before you started recording, but addiction is a big part of what we don't necessarily deal with, but we have to deal with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because a lot of people, they find themselves in this crazy in between spot. This is what, where a lot of this trauma is. So they're in the military. They're not in the military anymore. They haven't found their footing elsewhere. They feel terrible about themselves. And now they just medicate. They medicate through alcohol, through drugs, through pornography, whatever. And they end up with us. And now we have to kind of deconstruct that. So we have to deal not only with the trauma that that brought people down this road, but all of the addiction that goes along with it. So there's there's so much crossover in in our worlds, I think, that, um, yeah, certainly there's there's a it's a spiritual condition. It's yeah. brokenness. Yeah. And that's what we're both dealing with. We're just dealing with it perhaps from a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah. Genesis three. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's it. Where we're at. <laughs> that's, the whole, that's the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have anything else you wanted to add? So do, does predominantly the programs happen on military bases? Cause I know you have military bases. Um, some programs happen at your outposts. Some mm-hmm. happen at those rural ranch lodges you have, you have a ranch lodge in Texas, California, Virginia, and Ohio, I believe. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, are those like week retreats or how, how are those? Yeah. Retreats? So those, those that you just mentioned, the, and that's what we call the legacy program. Those are a week long okay. and the folks who are there are there the entire week. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and those are all private, they're not facilities, but private ranches, private places that people have allowed us to use that's for so our cool. program. Um, so it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, now we do have the opportunity to do like one day resiliency events on bases to military units. What, what's crazy about what you were just talking about, you know, kind of the, um, are we qualified to do this? That the clinical world would look at us and say, are we qualified? 
Uh, when we started Mighty Oaks, people said, if you hang on to this faith thing and you keep talking about Jesus, you're not going to have any access to the active duty community. Mm. We've, now, we've now spoken to probably close to 300,000 active duty military members Please on man. bases and in conferences because of what you were just talking about. It's effective. It's, it's effective. When, yeah. when, when a, a unit leader looks at everything their people are doing and they're still dealing with suicides and you know, all the things they're dealing with, they look at us and go, look, we don't care what you're doing or how you're doing it, but we need help. Yeah. Can you please come and help us? And so probably just about every session, half of that session, that week-long session at one of our locations would be active duty military members who are there for a week. Their unit cuts them loose on permissive orders. Um, yeah, God has opened up some incredible doors, and it's because of the effectiveness. Yeah. And, uh, mm. and so, yeah. yeah so and- what we do happens in a lot of places, but the core of our programming happens in those locations. And one of the things too, just to just to kind of be clear, with, with in order to obtain a license and a joint commission accreditation, which actually, side note, I'm going to chase a squirrel. We're in the back, we're in the the end stages of being in network with Tricare, mm. uh, and and wow. from what we've been told, and in this process, it's been a long process. Um, that's actually harder to achieve than joint commission mm. accreditation, which is the yeah. top accreditation, but. Uh, in order to do those things, we did have professionals come on, you know, uh, therapists, doctor, nurses, those kind of things. And that was one of our things. Oh, if we get licensed, if we do this, if we do that, we're not going to be able to talk about Jesus. So therefore we're not going to do it. And what we found was, is you just need to hire the doctor, the nurses, the therapist that love Jesus Right. And believe the same as you believe about right. addiction. <laughs> and then what are they going to say? Right. Right. And sure. so we did that. And, and I don't know, I, I, I I love I love this podcast. It's one of my favorite, and it's mm. almost at forty minutes, and we got to honor his time. But uh, I literally could ask him a thousand questions. Um, one of the things I will say, and and kind of leave it at this. But do you have anything you want to add before I before I do a closing? No, I, I think you're uh, you're exactly right. We we talk about the clinical, right? We're a non clinical program, meaning we don't have clinicians right. on site, but we we kind of work one way or the other. We can either then hand off someone who's now of sound enough mind to understand what's going on to a clinician That's right. or vice versa. We have people in the VA who will recommend to us all the time. But the way I describe it is a clinician would say you start with therapy and if spirituality, religion, God, if that helps somewhere down the line, then you add it. We just start the other way around. Amen. The foundation for us is a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And if clinical therapies, <laughs> other things help down the line, then we add it, but we just start from the other end. And so it's not that we're against yeah, I, clinical help. We just don't start there. Well, well, and I would argue that, that you and us, we start at the correct place because these right, therapeutic right. methodologies, they're not, they're amazing. Like cognitive behavior therapy, DBT, yep. uh, all of these things are great, but they came from God, not the other way around, right? That all of these, you could, yeah. these principles and all of these methodologies of therapy, you could find right here, right here in this book, yeah. right? And, and it, but when you try to take some lady's name with some letters behind her name, that she has this new <laughs> right. process and this is, it's like, whoa, 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 that's, that's terminating on her and it needs to terminate, you know, on, yeah. on God. And, yeah. but the principles are the same. And, and so, right. hey, don't, we're, don't rob from our worldview, right? Without giving our worldview credit, which it doesn't matter about that. But um, I I just think of this way. If you are in, I know for myself, in the darkest pit of my life, if you're listening to this and you're hearing, maybe you messed up, you just went through some of these holiday seasons that we're in uh, and 
man, you know, family's starting to notice and you don't see any hope and all you could do is you're, you're just staying in this pit, staying in this pit. What I hope is, is that you're hearing this message. You know the data. You know there's so many deaths per year. I've, I've done, at one point I did more funerals than weddings as a young pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of doing that, that there's death and decay. My message to you today is march or die. Mm-hmm. Press on. There is hope. I say that because I've lived that. Ryan says that because he's lived that. Jeremy says that because literally mortars were firing around him, and if he Mm -hmm. didn't march, he would die, and maybe people under him would have too. So here's the thing. March or die, and guess what? There's life after addiction. There's hope. You could do things. You can, I'm a, this isn't about me or Ryan, but I'm a pastor now. I have no plans of being a pastor. I was going to be a multimillionaire by the time I was 30, (laughs) right? But I'm happier than if I had a billion dollars in the bank. I have a true joy that's not based on material things. I have a connection with our creator. There is life after addiction. March or die. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's life after addiction. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life After Addiction. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Studio. For more Christ-centered addiction recovery resources, please visit s2l.net. That's S, the number two, L, dot net. For more information about S2L's licensed and accredited residential program, please visit S2LRecovery.org. That's S, the number two, L, Recovery.org. We want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Life After Addiction podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of their faith-centered podcasts and their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and much more. Thank you so much for listening today, and God bless. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.